This morning we're in Mark. We're at the end of Mark chapter 6, and we're going to go uh, through the first couple passages in Mark 7. So if you have your Bible this morning, you can turn there. Mark 6, and we're going to start in verse 53. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a couple up here. Feel free to come up and grab one. Um, we're going to look at Jesus continuing to walk in his gospel ministry that God had ordained since the beginning of time. Like since creation, God had this plan that he would send his son to save a people that need saving. And we've looked for the last months at Jesus and what he does when he comes. He shows up and he ministers to the people that desperately need him. And often that's people that uh, would need a healing. That's people that would need that would be hungry. We saw that a couple weeks ago when he fed the 5,000. We've seen those that, that were cast out of relationship and God has restored them into relationship. This is, the, this is the God of the universe in human form, Jesus Christ that has come and he sees every need. And often he will meet that very personal need. But we have the full message of the gospel that says not only has He come for those individual needs, but He's come for a, a true human need. A universal need that we all have. A need that we need to, to be cleansed. To be changed. That inside of us there's a, there's a wickedness. And we're going to see actually Jesus speaks to that today. And so I, I'm just praying for humility on all of our parts that we would be able to hear this. Because there's going to be some things that Jesus says to the scribes. That's the religious people. And we all have different ways that we, that we ascribe to religion. And we're going to, we're going to hear this today. And, and as we hear it, we're going to say, oh man, there's going to be a pride that wells up in us. And it's going to start with me. So I'm just praying, God, would you humble us today? Would you give us ears to hear? Because we need to hear what you have to say. And so we're going to be in Mark Chapter 6, again starting at verse 53, and we're going to read through 723. So it's a longer passage, so I've, I've, I've just decided to read it within the message this morning. But it, even as you're thinking, will you pray with me that God by the power and work of His Holy Spirit would humble us? That He would give us soft hearts. That we would receive the gift of grace this morning that He comes and He delivers to the scribes, even as he calls them out in their sin. And that we would hear that. Read with me, will you? Mark chapter 6, verses 53. Follow along. You may not get it all right now in this first reading, but we'll circle back and we'll come into, into these three different sections individually. But let's read it together in its context. Mark six fifty-three. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless, their hand, unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. 
And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or his mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father and his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. We pray with me? Lord, there is a, uh, there's a weight this morning to your word. There's a correction that you're coming with both to the scribes and Pharisees and to the disciples and to our hearts today. God, and we don't like to be corrected. And yet, Lord, we know that if there's anyone in, this, in, in all of time and space that could correct us, it's Jesus, the God-man, who walked perfect righteousness, who was tempted in every way as we have been tempted who suffered and died, that king has authority to correct this morning. And so, Lord, we pray that you would humble our hearts. That you would take our hearts of stone and make it hearts of flesh, according to your word, Lord. That by the power of your word and through the work of your spirit, that you would soften hearts so that we would see the grace that we've received, grace upon grace, in the person of Jesus Christ, calling us out of our sin, calling us out of our evil and our wickedness, calling us out of our self-righteousness and our religion to see You, to know You. So Lord, would You do that in us today? God, and not just in this people gathered in this pavilion, but throughout the world, would You open eyes and soften hearts and give ears to hear the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, would you save today? Here in Brevard County, Lord, I pray for James as he's preaching at Pineda and Justin as he's preaching in Palm Bay, Lord, and, and the many other gospel churches that are, that are preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord, here. We think about Forever Mercy and the gospel work that's going on in South Africa and Wego that's in Nicaragua and Mongolia, and those are just some of the few that we know of, Lord. Would you make your fame and your renown known today? Lord, and I pray that there would be some who would come for the very first time to a saving knowledge of your grace and your beauty in the person of Jesus Christ. We beg and plead, Lord, would you do that? And for those of us that have come many times, Lord, would you remind us again, may we remember, may we repent. God, and may we rest and trust in you and your finished work. We thank you that we can pray these prayers with confidence today, Lord. Because we know that it's your will, that you would be glorified for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, we're going to look at uh, this in three sections like I talked about. So the first section is, is the end of chapter 6, 6.53 through 56. And we can kind of just get lost in this. We talked about it a little bit last week where we just see Jesus doing these amazing things over and over, and in our hearts we just kind of think, that's just Jesus, that's what He does. He heals people, they come to Him, He meets them in their need, and He changes their will. But, but that's, that's our perspective. For these people that are sitting here in their beds in the marketplace, that have been wounded and broken for a long time, when He comes and, and He does that thing that Jesus does, that we kind of, Think, take for granted, it changes their whole life. Like they are not the same that they were minutes before. And so maybe just think back to that moment in your life where Jesus came and He met you in that place and it changed everything for you. And maybe you've grown up in the church and there's just been this idea that, that it's a continuation of kind of my my family's religion, my family's faith, but eventually it has to become yours. And so there, there needs to be a moment where you would say, no, I was a wretched sinner. I was in need and Jesus met me there. And so as we see these people being brought, some of them brought by their friends, it, it reminds us again of Mark 2. And so I just want to look in Mark 2 real fast. So you can just turn back a couple pages or scroll up, however you do it. In, in, verse, or in chapter 2, it says that Jesus heals the paralytic. And there's, there's some correlation that we're going to see in Jesus healing the paralytic and what He does today as He heals many simply by the touching and the fringe of His garment. But He also speaks of a greater healing that's happening in the heart than what's happening in the physical being. And so in Mark 2... They come and these friends bring their paralytic, this, this person who's been paralyzed their whole life, and they lay him at Jesus' feet. And Jesus sees them, and, and the first thing that he says, he says, Son, in verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven. And everybody's looking like, Jesus, this man doesn't need his sins forgiven. He needs to be able to walk. He's broken. And Jesus continues on. And in that, in that moment, there's this, 
there's the, the, the self-righteous religious people say, who is this God? Who is this person who thinks he's God? He's blaspheming. He can't say that. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, well, why do you question, in verse 8, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But you, you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Jump back to 6, chapter 6. That's one zoomed in story of these many that are taking place as. In 54, they got out of the boat and the people immediately recognized them and they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, and countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Listen, when we look at this bigger picture of many people coming and then we zoom in to that one paralytic, and how that, that changed his life forever, now we begin to understand, like, this isn't just Jesus doing his thing. This is Jesus radically changing lives. Lots of them. Lots of them. Healing the sick because of their faith, right? Jesus, he doesn't just cast about healing. We've seen it in, in each of the encounters with Jesus. There's a, there's a faith that happens and the person who's being healed. Now sometimes it's misguided faith. It's, it's faith in ritual. And yet Jesus uses their imperfect faith to work a healing and then perfect their faith. That's the kindness of God towards us. He takes you and me, our imperfect faith, our imperfect understanding, and He is working perfection by the power of His Spirit through the working of His Word into a people for himself. Today we get to celebrate that. That God is doing that in us. We get to see that he's done that for thousands of years. The beauty of it is we also look back before Christ. And we're going to see that as, as we look at these traditions and commandments. These things were done so that they would point to a faith and a coming Savior. Not so that the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious would be right. But that, so that they would know a righteous and true God. So that first section reminds us that in the context of what Jesus is doing as he's teaching, he's also meeting people in their needs. Today, if you have a need, if you have a physical need, if you have an emotional need, if you have a relational need, know that there is... In the person of Jesus, a caring and compassionate Savior who longs to meet that need and is powerful enough to do so, but also He knows the big picture. He has a greater understanding of your need than you do, and He will use our suffering and our brokenness to bring us to a place of, of known need of a cleansing, known need, desperate need of a Savior. And so He'll use all those things, so don't... Don't hold that against Him that you are suffering because He's using that for His glory, your sanctification, and you're good. 
But he also tells us to come to him with our needs. And so we lay those at his feet and say, Lord, would you heal? Would you restore? Would you change circumstances? But no matter what you do, God, will you be, me, be with me in the process? Will you go with me? And we have confidence that no matter what the circumstances say, he goes with us. So we continue on, and now that Jesus uh, has gathered some people, and they've just come out of this place where they're probably touching some unclean people. They're in the marketplace, which according to Jewish tradition, anytime a, a Pharisee or a scribe would come back from the marketplace, they would wash their hands, and they would, they would wash their hands to a degree that, like some people actually translate it, they bathed. So... There's this idea that here comes Jesus with his disciples. They've just gone through and they've done this ministry. And now they're getting ready to eat. And that getting ready to eat is really going to challenge some things for the religious that are there. Let's read together. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes, this is verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And they asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? For us, we need to, we need to kind of unpack some of that this morning. I already talked about how if, if, if the Jewish leaders would come from the marketplace, they would, they would essentially bathe. But even if, if they sat down to eat, they would wash their hands, they would pour water over their hands, and it would run down their wrists, and they would rub them together and wash, and then they would dip them into a, a, a bucket and let the water run off their fingertips. And this was the ritual way of cleansing their hands so that so that whatever they put into their bodies would then be clean. Because they had this idea that, that the, the, the thing that messed them up, the thing that was bad for them was outside of them, and when they would put that bad outside thing in, it would, it would defile them. And Jesus is coming and He's, he's re reminding them. Like, what is the purpose of the law? And we saw this. We've seen Jesus do this several times. The law is not so that if you follow it, you are right. That wasn't the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law pointed to a God who is righteous. And so the law, actually, as you begin to unpack it and realize that you cannot complete it, requires sacrifice on your behalf to be made right with God. That's what the law spoke to and so these elders created these traditions and these ways that said, hey, if, if eating something that would defile was bad, then we want to kind of back up this fence and, and set a new fence that you wouldn't even get close to that thing that would separate you from God. And so they had created extra traditions and laws. These traditions and laws were the, what Jesus is referring to when He talks to them in this at the end of this passage, the tradition that's been handed down. And it's also what the Pharisees are talking about in verse 5. Why do your disciples not 
walk according to the traditions of the elders. So Jesus is challenging this idea that you, by doing something outside of yourself, can be made right. In your actions, in your behavior, you can be right before God. And yet, listen, this is why we're praying for humility this morning. Right? We need to hear this. Because so many of us are putting our hope, and I'm just thankful for Chris and where he came with the prayer of confession. It's beautiful the way that the Holy Spirit works those things. And we had this ongoing preaching of the gospel that we've strived to put our hope in outward things, really good things. Like God's law is good. To walk in His righteousness that He has purchased for us is good. This, this message this morning isn't going to give us license to then go and do whatever we want because nothing we can do can fix ourselves. No, this morning speaks to a Savior who has changed that inward part that we can't fix and now gives us the ability to walk in His righteousness for His glory out of gratitude to be generous with our lives. Listen, there's a disconnect between what the scribes and Pharisees are doing on the outside and where their hearts are. And so Jesus comes and in verse 6 he says this, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. If you're like me, the harshest, hurtful thing that could be said about you would be that you're a hypocrite. If you're like me and, and God is, you've seen something of God's glory and you've beheld it and you're like, man, that's beautiful and I want to work my whole life to make that known and you begin to leverage things in your life for that, then the hardest thing is when someone comes and points out your hypocrisy to you. And yet, what we believe is that this is the kindness of the Savior that He would come to the scribes and say, you are a hypocrite. Because by Him calling that out, He's calling them to something better than what they're in. Better than the righteousness that they're trying to work out by washing their hands. Better than the righteousness that they're trying to work out by observing all of the religious holidays and practices. He's calling them to a relationship with Himself. And so this morning when He points to me and He says, Joel, you hypocrite. I saw the way you were impatient with your children yesterday. And you're going to stand up here and preach. Or... Or Joel, you're, you're a hypocrite. You, you talk about believing that, that your hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. You even have the shirt. Right? And yet you go and you put your hope in rest. You put your hope in an orderly home. You put your hope in your giftings that I've given you. You put your hope in so many other things. And yet... That while that is a, a truth that I am a hypocrite, 
And it is the truth that you are hypocrites. And it's the truth that the scribes were hypocrites. It is not the end of the story. This is the bad news that we have to hear before our hearts will be a, a place where the good news can come and take root. And we can believe that I have a worth and a value outside of what I do. It's not until you realize that anything and everything that you do has no value to make you better before God. Because if you believe that, now you have a freedom. You have a freedom that says, man, if that's true, what do I do? Nothing. You believe. You repent. You trust in the one who has done everything sufficient for you. You trust in a God who longs for worship from His people, not just with their lips, but from their hearts. As Isaiah prophesied over Israel, who is a rebellious people, and they're God's people. Like, like we need to understand that. This isn't a declaration over Tyre and Sidon and those really evil countries. This is God's people that Isaiah is prophesying over. And he says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So today, we, we would be in error to not think that's, that most of us are in that place. That we honor Jesus with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. Hear this. We trust in the traditions of men. Think about, maybe you don't wash your hands. That's fine. Like, gross, but fine. Okay? Maybe that's not what we're talking about. But there are other traditions that you've created in your mind and in your way of thinking that if I do these things, they give me right standing before a holy God. Just take a second. Think about what it is, what is it that... That when you do it, it gives you a sense of value and worth outside of the value and worth that God has given you. Again, I'm going to be the first confessor today. As I stand up here and I preach, that's what I do. And often I will put my hope and my, my value in that. Like, am I being a good father? Am I being a good husband? Am I being a good pastor and preacher? Am I being a good steward of the things that God has given me? Am I being a good American? Am I being good? Whatever it is. Those are the traditions that I have created in my mind of what makes me right before God. And I'll walk in those things until somebody gracious and kindly comes to me and says, Joel, You have everything you need in Jesus. You don't have to do any of those things. Do them, yes. Don't do them to prove that you're right before God. Do them because God has made you right with Him because of His Son. Then out of that, now I have the right motivation and I'm walking in these good things, giving glory to a God who is holy and righteous and good and kind. And when people say, man, Joel, you... You're a loving dad. I'm like, only by grace. And yet these Pharisees, they, they're thinking, yeah, we're doing, we're doing all the right things. We're washing our hands. We're observing all the religious practices. And Jesus looks at them and He says, you hypocrites, 
Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. And hypocrite is the, the kindest thing that he can do in that moment because he's stripping them of those things that they're standing on other than his righteousness and his grace. Today he's doing that to us too. Dismantling whatever it is that you stand on outside of the grace and work of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you have is gain, have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Many such things you do. This idea of Corban is just one way that Jesus exposes them because God's law, His commandments, told them to honor their father and mother, and yet they were abusing these traditions by saying, no, there's a there's this Corbin. And when that, something is declared Corbin, it means that it no longer goes back to who it would go to, but it actually goes to God. And while that's this beautiful and good thing, and you look at that and you're like, that seems like selfless, Worshipful is being abused. Because that's what we do. <laughs> we take these really good, worshipful things and we make them about us. And so, they were practicing this often at the time just so that they could manipulate this system, this religious system, so that um, the money would go to the temple and then often the temple would actually kick back some of that to the people that were giving it instead of it going to different places. I'd encourage you this week, look it up. I haven't done a really good job of explaining it today, but, but you don't need to know that practice to understand that we have practices that we manipulate. We have things in our um, Christian walk that, that we put our hope and our trust in, and we manipulate those things. I would even say that sometimes it's prayer. We try to manipulate those things into our gain rather than God's glory. And so there's a lot of different ways where we will trust in the traditions and the, the practices of men rather than running to the God who these practices should point to. Finally, Jesus gets to his ultimate point in verses 14 through 23. And he called the people to him again. And, and that's both the scribes and Pharisees and it's his disciples and it's anyone who would be willing to listen. He calls them to himself and he gives them the cliff notes, the Jesus notes of what, what he's talking about. He says, Hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then you also, then are you also without understanding? Listen, Jesus is super patient and kind with his disciples. They don't get it over and over and over. Good news for us today. Because we don't get it over and over and over. And yet Jesus is patient with them. He hears them and he says, and he, and he even explains it again. Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Listen, I don't have to explain that. You can think about it. Wait a second. It goes into the mouth, 
into the stomach, expelled. Got it. Jesus is saying, listen, those things that you do, that you're putting your hope in, they're not going to change the heart. They're not going to fix the inner defilement that you and I both have. They're just going to go through your body and they're going to be left in the latrine. Left in the outhouse. Those good things that you're trusting in, that's where they go. And yet Jesus has come to fix the inner defilement that's in our hearts. Because then you can't judge things by that outward. We, we have these different ideas of that. We want to clean everything up. Jeremiah 2.2 Jeremiah 2.22 This is Jeremiah prophesying over the people of God. He says, Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. We can work and labor so hard to clean ourselves up on the outside and yet there's this internal defilement within our hearts that only God can fix. We can look to other outward things to fix it. And if you look in culture right now, everybody's running to something different to be able to fix these outward problems. Many of them run to religion. Many of them run to politics. Many of them just try to bunker down and say, hey, what can I control? Okay, me and my family, that's it. We're going we're gonna to keep it local and isolate. Or, or maybe it's uh, the, the issues with race. And if we could just fix that outward thing, we would be cleansed on the inside. If we could just be kinder to one another, if we could end the, the violence that's taking place in the Middle East, that would, that would fix this outside thing. And yet we can't. None of those outside things are going to fix this internal defilement that's in our heart. And Jesus goes on and He says, He describes what that is. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. 21, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and they defile a person. You have an inner sin. If we can't see it, that doesn't mean it's not there. This is, this is not an all-encompassing list and yet if you look at this list, there are things on it that all of us are going to struggle with. He begins with evil thoughts. Not even actions. We're talking about thoughts that you might have. And Jesus in His Sermon on the Mount goes and He, he, he says, hey, this is, this is the commandment of God and yet if you have harbored hatred in your heart, you've committed murder. If you looked at a, a woman lustfully or a man lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. So, so we can't say these things, take this list Post it on our wall and say, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. No, this thing is pointing to an inner defilement that's in all of us. We all have pride. We all 
have frustration and anger. We all have these different things that are inside of us that defile us. What comes out of a person is what def- <clears throat> what comes out of a person is what defiles. What comes out of our heart. The good news. So that listen, all this is shaping the the, the truth. But we have a hard time with that truth. We don't want to think that. We want to think that we are good people and we just need a little bit of help. If we could just get a little bit of help from Jesus, we would be everything that He wants us to be. It's not true. We are not good people. The Bible is clear when it says that that we have sin inside of us and we are a broken people in need of a Savior. We need someone who could come and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we have that person in Jesus. He's come. And He has done a work that you and I can't do on the outside. He's done an inside work. Today, if we would come and we would trust, and we would repent, and we'd say, Lord, I've tried all of these outside things, and they do not satisfy. They do not fix me. I am in need of You. That's all it takes is this this confession Jesus, I can't fix it. Nothing outside me can fix it. I need someone to come and fix me from the inside. Ephesians 2 recognizes this reality, this truth, that we can't fix ourselves, that we are broken. And the first Several verses of Ephesians 2 talk about that, how we lived out of these passions, out of this list that Jesus just gave us. But verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we couldn't do anything about it. We were dead. We could not fix that internal, that defiled inside. We were dead in our sins. But He came and made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is the good news. You can't fix you. Jesus can and has come and has done the work. Today the call is to trust and believe it. Maybe for you it's the first time that you've, you've heard this and you're like, man, that, that's beautiful. I've known, I've seen that there's something inside of me that's not right. I, my best efforts are still often done out of selfish pride or want and for gain. And I, I can't fix that. And you're telling me that there's one who's come to fix it. That's good news. Today maybe you've heard, you hypocrite. And you're like, that's not good news. No, it is good news. Because maybe it started with this true, genuine faith and belief that that I'm longing to know a holy and righteous God, and yet somewhere along the way I've taken it and I've made it into something else. And that Jesus in His kindness would call us and say, hey, you've forgotten. Hey, hypocrite, my grace is sufficient for you. 
Hey, ignorant that have never heard before, my grace is sufficient for you. Hey, you that's walking in this submission and this daily dependence on God, good news, again, my grace is sufficient for you wherever you are today. His grace and kindness in the person of Jesus is sufficient for you. Amen? Amen. Now, what do we do with that? God, that doesn't, that doesn't fix my actions. No, but it gives us the right motivation. And now out of a right motivation, when I recognize that Christ humbled Himself, that came and fixed the thing that I cannot fix, that changed an inward heart that I cannot change, that cleaned a defilement that I cannot clean. Oh God, who, who am I that You would love me so much? That You would change me, that You would clean me and make me whole and right with Yourself. Now out of that place of grace and a place of gratitude in my heart, I can say, God, I want to live for You. You've done this deep work, this work that I cannot do for me, and you've done it for my neighbor. God, what, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? Lord, you are Lord of my life. My words are not my own. My thoughts are not my own. My actions are not my own. God, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? My life is yours. And that's not a religion washing my hands right. That's a relationship that says, God, you've purchased me at a high and costly price. I'm yours. Do with me what you will. Take me where you will. So the call today is trust, believe. And out of that place of belief and rest in the righteousness of Christ, go and live for Him. Amen? God, we thank You, Lord. We thank You that only You can call us sinners, can call us hypocrites, can call us unclean and it not be anything but kindness. God, because not only do you stand as judged to rightly proclaim that to be true, but you stand as Savior who has come and done something about that to heal and to save. God, as we move into a time of taking communion, God, that we would remember how You have saved, that You have atoned for our sin. In our place, You took the, the punishment and the wrath of God. You bore it to the cross. You died on the cross for our sins, but it didn't end there. Three days later, You rose again, defeating sin and death. To say that the sacrifice that You paid was sufficient... That death could not contain you because you are God. And then you call us to walk in righteousness as you've walked in it. Not so that we could be right with you because we are only right with you because of the work that you've done, but we can worship you. We can love you. We can be in right relationship with you as we go and proclaim the good news. Not a morality, 
but a grace. Help us to believe that today, Lord, because we're going to leave here in, in an hour. We're going to forget and we're going to begin to rest on our own righteousness and our own doing and our own correcting. Lord, would you save us today? Lord, would you help us to remember this truth and walk in it? We pray this with confidence, knowing that this is the work that you're doing in your church. We trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.